Welcome to the DLC Blend, where we discuss ideas and strategies to implement blended learning while highlighting the collaborations between schools, staff, students, and the digital learning coordinators. Hello, I'm Katie Haywood. And I'm Chris Zirkel. And we are digital learning coordinators for Wake County Public School System. So Katie, our first segment is blended learning topic in our podcast today. What is our blended learning topic? So today we're going to talk about delivering content through a blending and learning environment. And so when we think about blended learning, one of the biggest changes that we've seen in our county over the last couple of years is that we've moved to all students having a county issued device. What, what does that mean for how we are teaching now? Well, it means that we can really implement uh, the blended learning model in our classrooms uh, because of the access that students have to technology and with our learning management system the devices they have we can now implement blended learning in the classroom so this is our blended learning segment but let's back up a little bit and let's kind of level set what do you mean and what do we mean when we say blended learning well you're taking the strengths of face-to-face -face instruction mm -hmm. right such as uh, relationships. The teacher has a relationship with the students. You're still using that. You still have paper, pencil, you still have arts and crafts and stickies, but we also have this digital learning environment where we bring in the classroom, blend it into the, the classroom um, period, so to say, or day, where that's where you bring in your content and your activities and students interact and engage with the resources you have in your learning management system. I think one of those other benefits um, and strengths of you know face-to-face -face in person is that expertise of the teacher, right? Where they can kind of pivot on the fly and they can kind of diagnose as they're going. They can see and look out at their lesson, you know, at their students while they're doing their lesson and see the looks on their faces like, okay, I can tell they're not getting this, I need to back up. Blending that with the platform that you were saying where they can have and house all those things and kids can access it on demand when needed. Yeah, when you need them to engage in something that is in a digital format. Um, so it's not as though we're saying that students are on devices at all times. Right, oh yeah, and no. Not at all. It's a, that's what we mean by blend, where there's times where you're instructing and their devices are not being used, and then there's times when they are engaging with their devices. Absolutely. I think that's a big misconception. People think that we're the digital tech people, so we want kids on devices all the time. And, you know, that's definitely not the case, and that's not best practice. Yeah. So we said today we're going to talk about delivering content. And we mean, you know, bringing info to students, getting them that information of our, of our subject area, you know, anytime, anywhere. So what do you mean by, like, types of content? So when we think about content, we think about all those different um, instructional resources that we want our kids to access. We've got uh, multiple, multiple modalities of media, text articles, audio clips, video clips. We can give them instructions, you know, whether it's for the day or for an activity or even for maybe a long-term project. It's all right there delivered to them in that learning management system. Um, even supplemental resources. If they're working on a project and we know they might need this um, reference to this document or this website, we can deliver all of that uh, asynchronously and they can have it then at their fingertips. Well, with Google Classroom going away, will that affect what's in Google? 
Uh, no. So the nice thing about Google Classroom is that it kind of just points to all of our resources that we've got saved in our Google Drive. And so all of those things can be seamlessly embedded in Canvas. And a great tool for that to embed various content and resources are pages, which are kind of like the equivalent of material in Google Classroom. Yes. One of the accessibility features, Immersive Reader, mm -hmm. works very well on pages. And so any content that you type in there or paste in there is going to be able to be read by immersive reader yeah it's a huge win for kids that need any additional support so a segment that we have added to the podcast is a segment that we like to call what's brewing where we give you updates about uh upcoming events and around the district and in the ed tech world in general and so chris what's brewing isd memberships what is isd ISTE is the International Society for Technology and Education. And as teachers, we all have memberships provided by the state of North Carolina. Yes. Yeah, so if you go to your home base, go into your portal and go to home base, then you'll see your ISTE icon there. Uh, click into that. Once you get into that, um, you can see that there's some access to resources and materials under professional development. Um, you can hover over membership, see what's there, some webinars, some topics things of that nature, and of course the standards, which we're very familiar with uh, going through our ISTE certification as digital learning coordinator. So you can look at the ISTE standards, uh, which is of course something we want to springboard off into and implementing into our content and our curriculums. Right, absolutely. And there's tons of great community resources um, that allows you to connect with educators just around the world and talk about integrating technology in a variety of different areas and um, specific topics. So in addition uh, to these awesome ISTE memberships, this week, uh, as of when we're recording, is Computer Science Education Week, which a lot of times we often celebrate with Hour of Code. So right now, the digital learning coordinators are busy supporting schools with special Code and Go events. This is a chance where students get to practice coding with a variety of tools, such as Sphero, Root, Hummingbird, Makey Makey, all kinds of different things. Yes, if you have following your DLCs on Twitter, you've probably been seeing images of students engaged uh, during uh, the Code and Go, and the emails and announcement signups went out and filled up almost instantly. So it is a very uh, in-demand activity that is really engaging, foresees engaging activity that we like to bring to schools. Yeah, the kids just absolutely love it. Um, and one thing we hear a lot is, can students only do Hour of Code in December? No, it's just when it's, you know, celebrated a uh, specific week in December. Some uh, schools, you know, may uh, implement that specific week. Some schools can't implement it in the specific week that everyone's doing nationally. Uh, so they may just bring that into their curriculum as something that they weave in throughout the year. Or, uh, you know, it doesn't have to just only be done that week, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the website code.org has a huge library of resources that students can use anytime. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, self-paced coding activities or form more formal lessons. And of course, the DLCs always love to work with teachers and come in and help them to try out coding with their students or to integrate it into their lessons. Yeah, I think it's important that all students are at least exposed and have a little access to coding to see if it's something they may have interest in. If they're not aware of it or what it is and don't have that opportunity, it may not be a path they pursue. But uh, There's definitely a high demand for computer scientists. I mean, think of cybersecurity 
alone, the workforce we're going to need to maintain all that, or uh, just coming up with new code for uh, all these applications and companies that are starting up. Uh, there's a high demand, um, and so we want them to at least have the opportunity to be aware of what it is. Absolutely. And speaking of cybersecurity, that takes us to our, our next segment called Focus on Filters, where we will give you some advice and tips on staying safe and keeping information secure and private. Um, so one thing I was reading uh, the other day, compromised credentials, such as like your passwords, things you use to log into a website, they were responsible for 20% of breaches with an average cost of those breaches at $4.37 million. That's a staggering number. Yeah, so one thing that people can do, they often wonder, okay, well, how can I protect myself? How can I um, protect my my login, my information? Because as educators, we have access to a lot of sensitive information. And one thing, a major tip is to think about your pa- uh, your password that you use. And one way to keep that more secure is rather than using just a simple password, you might think about a passphrase where you come up with some memorable phrase and you use the first letters of each of the words as your password. Yeah, I forgot my password would be I-F-M-P. That's pretty good. You you probably want it a little bit longer. uh, So maybe add in a few words in there, maybe some numbers and uh, special characters to make it even more secure. Okay. Another uh, aspect or layer of that is double your login protection using or enabling multi-factor authentication, uh, MFA. This ensures that you're the only person who has access to your account, and it's really you. You can enable this uh, by using a trusted mobile device, such as your smartphone, and only approve requests that come from you. Yeah, we just enabled this across the district recently, and that's a that's a really important tip. Is you know we have kind of gotten used to that approval now when that duo notification comes through, um, but that's the whole point. If it's if you weren't the one trying to log in, definitely don't approve that that request. And moving on to our next segment, our Canvas learning opportunities. There are some courses available for all of us to go through, four courses, there is a progression, we start with communicating with Canvas. Do all of us need to jump in and start taking the course? Is there a way to determine if we need to take these courses? Yeah, so we have um, released um, and given everyone access to a Canvas skills checklist. And that's on the um, Canvas learning opportunities page on the Canvas expansion site. And so teachers can click that link. It'll make a forced copy so they have their own copy. And they can go through the checklist. It's a checklist of skills. uh, And what it'll do is the, the skills are broken up to be aligned with each of the four courses. And they can kind of see, do I need this course or not? If they know the majority of the skills and topics, they could move to the next course um, and look at those. Well, what if I'm going through that and there is like maybe one or two things, how do I, do I have to go to the course to figure out those one or two things? Uh, no, there's a really couple great resources. Uh, right there in the skills checklist are links um, to short tutorials and videos that explains that one skill or topic you might need. And in addition, there is the Canvas Handbook, which also has all of those skills broken out individually so you can kind of get those things you need um, as needed rather than having to go through the whole course. Good to know, yes. Canvas skills checklist. Yes. And so we're going to wrap up this episode of The Blend. And don't forget your digital learning coordinators are here to support you with any of your digital learning needs. And if you want to locate your DLC, you can go to DLC 
at wcpss.net and there you'll find your area local DLC.